Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters, right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest is David Richman. He's followed a calling of his own. He believes that inspiring deeper human connections through life-changing stories. He has this wonderful book that has come out called The Cycle of Lives, and it tells of 15 stories of trials and triumph with victory and defeat. Many books only share one perspective, However, David's book provides cancer stories told from 15 different perspectives, allowing readers to examine a wide range of experience, events, emotions, backgrounds, and viewpoints. This array of human experience will help readers to grow in empathy and better understanding of how issues like suicide, abandonment, loss, survivor guilt, abuse, fertility, and more affect the way people deal with the traumas that shape their lives cancer or otherwise. Life wisdom within each page, readers of the cycle of lives will be better equipped to deal with trauma, be there for people around them and feel more supported in starting uh, hard conversations. And mental and emotional journey from our home cycle of lives also appeals to readers who enjoy moving narratives of ordinary people persevering through extreme enduring events like the 5,000 mile bike rides that inspire them to tackle their own lofty dreams. Um, he ha has over the last 15 years done over 50 triathlons, including 15 Ironman distant triathlons, more than 50 runs longer than a marathon distance, um, several 24 hour runs, an 85 mile run in Mexico during the summer crazy four consecutive marathons 104 miles from santa barbara to manhattan beach and a solo 5000 bike ride from california to new york i'm just exhausted just saying that never mind you doing it welcome to the show love oh thank you sarah yeah i'm exhausted thinking about it it's a it's a lot of miles isn't it it is a lot of miles and a lot of dedication and clearly you know, it must be very ther therapeutic for you because you wouldn't do it otherwise, right? Mm. But um, is this how it all came about through the writing, through the meeting the people? How did this all start, this wonderful cycle of lives? Well, the cycle of lives did start through um, meeting people and deciding that I had um, a mission to try to accomplish when it came to um, helping people talk about the emotional side of cancer. Mm -hmm. um, the overall being athletic and taking on endurance athletics was kind of a combination of a number of things, Sarah. Um, I was going through a tremendous amount of turmoil in my, my own life, my personal life, in my business life. I was a, a, a smoker. I was overweight. I, uh, I hadn't done anything athletic. I was in a, a very bad a personal uh, relationship. <clears throat> I had young twins that I needed to get them to a safe place. And uh, then, uh, um, you know, uh, at work was stressful, maybe self-induced, maybe just because I worked in, in a very big, um, brutal in, environment in the, in the corporate world on Wall Street. And 
while I'm trying to contemplate where my life is all going, my sister calls me and says, Hey, Hey brother, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to die of brain cancer soon. Oh. I just went, Oh my goodness. So mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, everybody, uh, most people have a point in their life that kind of leads to transformation. For me, it was this pinnacle of stress, self-induced and otherwise mm-hmm. where I just stood in front of a mirror, Sarah, not, 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 figuratively literally stood in front of a mirror and just said like seriously david who do you want to be and and why don't you take charge of this thing rather than than just succumbing to whatever you know what you think everybody else wants you to do why don't you just do it on purpose so that's that was the start of it everybody needs a kind of a bottom out or mm-hmm. I call it the cosmic two by four, you know, that, <laughs> you know have I got your attention now you know uh, you know where you shouldn't be Mm-hmm. Now let's take you to where you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wonderful willingness of exploration. Like, I know I don't want to be here anymore. You mm-hmm. know, the walls are collapsing in. Everything seems to be in chaos. But how do I pull that thread and, yeah. you know, ra- unravel it? And where am I meant to be? And you have to step into allowing, don't you? Mm-hmm. You have to step into trust that the universe will just show you the way. You also have to be in tuned with self. And that means going you know um into the into the center of that uh, tornado and not letting it keep swirling you around because that's where you were swirling around you have to go to that center of calm and go okay i'm not meant to be here what am i meant to do and when you ask that question it's amazing what reveals itself isn't it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean to give you an analogy of exactly what you just said the very first uh, endurance event that i did it's going to sound crazy to people. It was an 87 mile rollerblade race. You remember rollerblades? You know I do. I do. <laughs> so forget about the background behind it, but I'm doing this 87 mile rollerblade race. I have no. no wait a minute. Pause, mommy. You said you were overweight and a smoker. And at that time, I had lost my weight, but I was still smoking. Oh, crazy. <laughs> So imagine being a smoker and, you know, hiding behind the start line, having a cigarette because I'm not going to have one for nine hours. And meanwhile, I'm doing this and it's not a dancing around on the, on the, on the beach kind of rollerblade. It's a on roads up and down the mountains in Georgia kind of race. It's a race race. And about a halfway into it, I am literally pushed myself as far as one could push themselves and I, I was ready to quit and I'm leaned over on sideways to a hill. Cause if I leaned, if I was even with the hill, I would have slid right down. I'm, I'm leaning sideways to the hill and I'm bent over on my hands and knees. I'm breathing as hard as I could. I'm dizzy. It's like 90 degrees out. And I'm watching this sweat drip down onto the black pavement. And the sweat is so salty that it's white and it's leaving this line on the pavement. And I said to myself, oh, I just want to quit. And then just a thought came into my head. I, I said, well, that's a line that you've never, ever seen in your life before. And every point that you go past that line, you're going to discover that mm-hmm. you, you're just saying that self-discovery. Every point you go past this, this line right here, you're going to go to a new place. It's, you've never been there before. And I went, oh, my gosh. So that kind of fired me up. Mm-hmm. And Every time I do some kind of ridiculous event, I go, oh, well, let's see what we can figure out. Let's see what we can find. Let's see what we can discover about ourselves. Yeah. What's the other side of the mountain? Yep. You don't give up when you're a few inches from the top, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
we don't realize how resilient we really are until we have to push ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we go through our daily lives and we may come home and complain about, oh, I'm exhausted, what a day I had. And then you get those days, oh my God, the day I've had. And I have got to still have more in my engine just to get to the midnight, you know? And we don't realize we're so resilient, we're so capable if we believe we can, if we believe we should. You know, that this is bigger than the pain I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. And there is a reason why I need to push forward. And when we do that, we break through that kind of when you turn around and look back, you go, I never knew I was capable of that. If I'm capable of that, what else am I capable of? Mm-hmm. But it's a it's until you make it uncomfortable for mm. yourself, um, then it's easy to stay boxed in. And that's yeah. okay safe place and you know what your cap- you know you know what your limits are and that's fine yeah but um for me who was trying to come from a place of turmoil to one with less turmoil that meant that i had to i had to get out of that tornado i had i had to yeah. i had to figure out a way to evolve or transform or take myself on a purposeful journey out of that chaos and yes. Um, sometimes we're forced to do that. Like you said, with a cosmic two by four, I say, uh, like a, a, a cancer hits people like a, a shovel in the face. Mm. Right. So whether, well, whatever it is that might cause you to be forced to, or allow you the opportunity to move away from this kind of boxed in chaotic, tightly bound life that might not be exactly the most and best life that you can mm-hmm. have. Um, then, then that's where life gets really fun and interesting. So that's the journey I found myself on, um, in my late thirties. I didn't, I didn't come to that realization until I was in my late thirties and here I am. I mean, actually kind of quite young really, because there's so many people, you know, of my generation, it was the fifties and the sixties where you think, well, you know, I don't have to live by this dictation anymore, this Uh expectation. And you go, who imposed this expectation? You know, because it's unrealistic. It's certainly not connective. I'm so busy trying to live up to what everybody else wants, what society says you should be. And, you know, being on Wall Street, exactly what, Mm -hmm. you know, they dictate. And it's that it's, you you don't even find yourself, never mind lose yourself, because you've never been with self, Mm -hmm. right? You've always been with the expectation. And to suddenly just go, okay, forget the expectation. I'm in that self-discovery. I'm in that exploration of who I am and what I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. And if you can step into that, the excitement comes into it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Of like, you know, well, you know, the the world is my canvas, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, just give me the paintbrush and let me explore. But it's, it's, you're exactly right, but it's a really hard concept to really like settle into and it's an even tougher concept to apply so the way that i looked at it what finally happened to me when i was standing in front of that mirror is i came to the realization sarah that i was um, doing everything based on what i thought i was expected to do so I'm going to act a certain way because it'll stop my mom from being angry at me as a, when I'm a kid or I, my teacher to be proud of me or uh, it's it's the way I'm going to do something because my boss will then give me a promotion or my employees will like me better or I'll be a better spouse or whatever. And turning that into I need to do the things that I'm going to do because I have an expectation of myself. Yeah. 
and I could care less about what anybody else thinks or says, which is a really weird thing for when you grow up always wondering mm -hmm. and worrying about what other people think yeah. for you to then say, well, I literally am not going to care anymore what they're going to think. What's more important is what I think. Then um, that's that, like I said, that that's the realize I realizing it mm -hmm. and then taking action to try to take advantage of that. So for me, it was um, starting to be athletic and um, starting to push my boundaries and starting to um, uh, not worry about what what how I was perceived or how I thought I should be perceived and just just be just just be just be you just be you um you know the the thing about all this expectation of you can please one person and the other person seeing exactly the same thing you've done is displeased with you mm -hmm. and really when it comes up to it we have um no control of anybody else's opinion of us so therefore they shouldn't have any control over us so you know it it's your consciousness it's yourself am i doing enough have i stepped up am i being true to myself am i really in my meaningful purpose and when you can answer that for yourself and you know you're on that path it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you but what you will find is people will celebrate you because you're living in your truth, you're living in that meaningful purpose, and they want to be around that light. But we really have no control over what anybody else thinks of us, and really, it's none of our business, really, in a way, I'll, isn't it? It's none I'll of our business. It, <laughs> and I'll take it a step further, Sarah. Oftentimes, if you're somebody like me who thought, you know, was so concerned with that, uh, that's a little egotistical because guess what? Most people didn't think of me, didn't have an opinion right, of me, didn't right. judge me, didn't waste <laughs> their time because they're busy living their own lives, yes. doing their own things. They don't have time to worry about me. And here I was worrying about what they were thinking about me. Mm. They weren't thinking about me. Right. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, like get over yourself and yes. just do it for you. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I love this quote that I heard that said when it came to Ironman, it was one of the founders of the Ironman Triathlon. And he said, you know, that I, it was a kind of a two-part quote. He, he said, why do I do Ironman? He said, well, I'm going to get off the couch and go do it because I might finish last, but I'm going to finish ahead of the guy that never started. Right. And mm. which, is, which is part one of the quote, which is awesome. But part two of the quote is, is that he said, if I don't finish, nobody's going to care. Mm -hmm. nobody's going to see, but I'm always going to know. Right. And I went, Oh, so you mean you should do something like an Ironman because you want to do it and not because you think other people will think it's cool yeah. or what, whatever, whatever it is, right. The, the work extra hours, maybe you should do that because you want to, not because you think it'll get you somewhere. Maybe it will get you somewhere. Maybe it won't, but do it because that's what you want to do. Right. I used to say when I when I when I was taking care of my kids and people go, oh, my God, you cook them dinner every night. I'm like, yeah, I get to cook them. I, that's yes. what I want to do. Yes. It's not a have to for me. Right. That's what I want to do. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I should look at everything in life like that. Like mm. some people might look at that as a chore. I looked at it as an opportunity. Right. Yes. I mean, with raising children, they like a routine. And some people go, oh, the routine is boring. And yeah, now and again, it's nice to break it. That's the treat. But if you don't look at it as a chore and you look at it as this is the time I'm going to sit around the table with them mm -hmm. and have that conversation as precious moments, right? It's game goes back to perspective. 
you can look at it as the downer or you can look at it as the upper. It's really a question of what you feed and what you water um, mm -hmm. as to what it's going to be. So we have to change our attitudes sometimes, don't we? Yeah, we do. And you use that word perspective. I'll tell you another quick story as I'm getting ready to do a 50 mile run in the end of June outside of Las Vegas. And if you know the temperature at the end of June in Las Vegas, that day it got to 118 degrees. So it's warm, like hot, hot, hot. You know, people getting airlifted out on helicopters and the whole thing. So um, I show up late to the start line and I'm completely freaked out. You know, I got to catch up to everybody that's taken off three or four minutes before me. And it's, 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 it's an early start because it's so hot and it's already like brutally hot, like 95 degrees at like six in the morning. And I'm cursing myself when, what the heck are you doing out here? And why are you doing this? And this is stupid and you're an idiot. <laughs> and then I went, wait a second, why don't you change your perspective? Yeah. And I thought about that word, Sarah perspective. And I said, Hmm, well, the perspective of like when a movie opens up, how does the director shoot it? And the perspective of, do I get to do something or have to do something? And the perspective of, should I be optimistic or should I be pessimistic? Which one motivates more and blah, 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 blah. And before you knew it, I was at the turnaround 25 miles later. Mm -hmm. Nothing but think about that word perspective for four plus hours. <laughs> and it really sunk into me the meaning of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I, th I think it's easy for us to grab on to, to trite motivators or trite things. Mm. But when you said uh, it's a matter of perspective, literally everything is a matter of perspective. Yeah. What, how you choose to believe is, is the way it is. Well, you know, the, the analogy of the glass is half full. Mm -hmm. Well, it's half full of water or something, but it's half full of air. Right. It's always full. Yeah. Yeah. It's only your perspective that perceives it as half empty. Yeah. Right. So we, you know, our lives can always be full. It's mm -hmm. all a question of how we choose to look at them. Right. Because yeah. we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Yeah. You know, um, we, we quote, dig our own graves, so to speak, because we're always trying to live up to those expectations, trying to live up to um, something that, you know, that we've got to be this, we've got to be that. Um, even in our own self-discovery, it's like we're wanting an approval along that. Am I doing it right? Mm -hmm. You know, should I be doing this? Am I having an effect? And if we could stop asking those questions of everyone else and only ask our, this question of ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, can I do more? I mean, obviously, your cycle of lives and the telling of the stories, this obviously came from something more you were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, how did that pivot over to telling these stories? So... Um... And it's a great question, Sarah, and I appreciate you asking it. I think that um, I was always a great problem solver, and but I wasn't smart enough to go from point A to point B to solve a problem. I would go backwards, dig myself a hole, self-sabotage something, create chaos, and then solve it and just get the back back to even. Sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, the hard I way. Wish I would have been one of these smart people that started here and solved problems to move myself forward. Right. But, but I wasn't smart enough to do that. But when it came to this book and this project, I, I, I literally just said, I, I, I want to solve a problem. And I, and I saw a problem that was a very um, prevalent issue 
in the world in which I found myself in. And the world I found myself in was my sister had recently died of cancer, uh, brain cancer. And I was doing events, uh, endurance athletic events uh, in her memory and in her honor and to raise money for the cancer center that took care of her. And during the time that she was sick and um, beyond then, when I was doing these events, um, I saw that people were really good about being able to talk about the tasks around their cancer. When am I going to get my next PET scan? Um, how do I talk to my doctor? Uh, how do I navigate insurance? How do I get my kids taken care of when I'm getting chemo? Like they, they could talk about that all day long and try to figure it out and ask for help and get guidance and whatever. But when it came to the emotional side of it, that's when things shut down. And even when like at events, when they do like a memory lap, you know, or a mile memory or something, everybody is quiet. You don't mm -hmm. talk about, you, you just, you know, you don't talk about the emotional side of it. And I thought to myself, that's just strange. And the doctors felt the same way, the caregivers, the survivors, the loved ones, people that had just had friends that were going through it. They would love to help them yeah. with the tasks, but they didn't have a means to communicate about the emotional side of it. And so that's the problem that I wanted to try to help solve. And so um, not to give you too long of an answer, but so I thought to myself, if I could put together a group of people that were interesting and evocative and had something in common with all of us, that is, they all had traumas, like you mentioned in the intro, drug addiction, uh, uh, having a suicide of a parent or um, uh, making bad choices in life or being abused or whatever. We all have those kind of traumas in our lives that we can identify with. How did those traumas affect the emotional journey when it came to their cancer? And I said, if, we, if I can find people that had a wide range of trauma, a wide range of emotional responses to their issues, different types of cancer, different amounts of cancer that they had, different ages when they had it, um, uh, then and I could get into their stories and tell it just from the emotional side of it. Um, then I thought that, hey, maybe this could help solve the problem of what can you do to help somebody that's going through something like this? And, um, and not just be quiet and, and you know, let's not talk about the emotional side of it. So that's what, that's what started me on the cycle of lives project. And, um, that was like my big attempt at trying to solve a problem that would move things forward rather than get me back to, back to even. Um, you know, you've hit on, I, my sister has had various things of cancer and I've known plenty of other people who have had cancer and in my family it was heart disease and all sorts of other things and it's like why is it that um, we don't talk about it you know why is it that we're not there emotionally for people you know when the person is going through something what's the first thing that shuts down it's their emotion because they're overwhelmed they don't know how to deal with it so we pussyfoot around and we don't know how to talk to them and if we could just talk to them straight you know okay you've got this you're going to get through this. You're not alone. You know, let's just work it out one step at a time. And sometimes that you coming forward with that kind of strength helps them take that breath they need to face it in their own strength. You know, it's said that cancer is an 80% emotional disease. 
It's emotions that are bottled up inside of you that causes dis-ease that comes out in a form of disease in some other way. Um, and when you release whatever it is that has got you there, the turmoil, the, the trauma, um, you know, the things that people have bottled up and never talked about, it has to come out, it has to be released. And then you are on the road to recovery along with all the other things that you do with cancer. But it, it happens so much when you see people who are going through something and people don't call anybody anymore, you know, because they don't know what to say. That's exactly and, it. And it, it's just like, this is your friend, this is your relative, this is a loved one, this is someone you care about. Just go to them. Okay, I'm sorry you have cancer or I'm sorry this has happened to you. But what can I do to help you through it? Because that's they need the external strength at that time for them to turn on that emotional trap because they shut down. It's too overwhelming. And in order to open up that emotion again, in trust, turn up the volume on that emotion, be able to express themselves. They need an outside source to help them do that, that they've got a companion that can help them to do that. And yeah. I feel very often we see the cancer people going through it alone because nobody knows how to address it. And it's the shush, shush yeah. as you go along the way. Yeah, you're so absolutely right. And listen, not everybody wants to talk about every aspect of their emotional journey. Right. It might be at a different place, but mm -hmm. what I think is, is what I could identify with and what most people that I spoke to along the way, almost everybody that I spoke to along the way, what I could identify with and what they could agree with is that our initial reaction, our initial uh, um, uh, uh, response was to kind of apologetically back out of the situation, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I run into you at the, at the coffee store and I just came from a, 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 a meeting where I was going to be, get, uh, where I got notified I'm getting promotion. I'm on, I'm on cloud nine right. and I run into you and I go, Oh my gosh, Sarah, I haven't seen you in forever. I go, Oh, how are you doing? And you go, oh, I'm all right. I go, what? And you go, Oh, I just had a rough day. You know, just a friend of mine called me and their son, their son just got diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what to say to him. And I go, oh, geez, I'm really sorry. And I go, I want to tell her about my promotion, but I can't. Right. And I don't want to sound stupid and go, why do you care so much about your friend's son? Or maybe that brings up a memory about, didn't Sarah have something bad happen to one I heard? Uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and I go, okay, yeah. well, geez, yo, good luck with that. Uh, and I run out right. of the coffee shop. Yeah. Right? Or, or I, or I, like you said, push foot around the, the conversation because I'm, I'm a little too nervous to talk to you. Right. Okay. That's reasonable. I can understand that. Yeah. Okay. Or when you, you have a friend who's an oncologist and they've been an oncologist for 30 years and you're just going to assume that they know how to deal with the emotional side of it. Right. Oh, yes. you're so strong. You're so this, you're so, so that maybe nobody ever asked them how they're doing. I had an oncologist that's part of this book. Uh, one of the stories of uh, 15 stories in the book, she was an oncologist for 40 years. When I talked to her, Sarah, she had not talked to one single person, not her husband, not her friends, not her coworkers, not peers, not whatever about the emotional issues that she had gone through as a, as an oncologist for 40 years. Yeah. And those were in uh, relation. Some of them were related to the fact that when she was 12, her dad never came home and he, she never heard from him ever again. Okay. Yes, it's so always a past trauma. It okay. always is. But, but but nobody, when I said to her, I said, I got to ask you questions nobody else has asked you. She goes, that's okay. I've never really talked about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I went, what? 
Mm-hmm. How could nobody ever have talked to you about this? Right. Yeah. So that's that. That's what drove me to 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 do the book because, uh, and to dive into these stories because, if I could bring you a story that was entertaining, that was ev- evoked some emotional response in you, some identification, some like, oh man, I totally get that. Um, then maybe you might be better equipped to allow somebody to talk to you or better equipped to talk to somebody else who might be looking for you to connect with them. And sometimes it's just the moral support. And I've always been the advocate for other people. I've always been the person that's been um, the answers and the light they need. And so when I was going through my own turmoil, and when I said to them, you know, marriage in trouble or this is in trouble, they, they washed over it mm-hmm. because I was their strength. They didn't want to see me as anything other than their strength, right? And what do you say to somebody who's strong that's going through something? Well, nothing I say can match what she says. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I'm not going to say anything at all. And this is something, you know, we all have a beautiful vulnerability about us. And Mm -hmm. being vulnerable is actually a beautiful thing to be. It's also an invitation for you to meet me at that vulnerability and care for me. You may not be able to do anything else other than I'm there for you or I care. Mm-hmm. I, but we can't go into the avoidance. Somehow, in some way, reach out in some way. It yeah. means a lot to someone. It and does. just I'm to gonna, know that somebody cares. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, steal words from a good friend of mine who says we are all, he's a, he's a, a hypnotist and, and psychologist and NLP practitioner. He's just a really heart-centered authentic guy and he uh, helps people and he says listen here's the point I'm coming from we're all just little kids Mm. in big kid bodies using big kid words yes and what do little kids want they just want to be safe that's yes right they just want to be safe that's what we all want so we all want to know that if we are feeling vulnerable Mm. if if we want to push everybody away because that's what we need that we can be safe to do that. If we want somebody to care about us and we open the door a tiny bit, we need to know that it's safe to open that door. Yeah. And, and for, for me, and, and I, I'm, I'm not saying that I know, I'm just saying that I'm observant. And I, after talking to so many people about this over so long a period of time, that it, um, that if I could be better equipped to understand what people might have gone through, yeah. then when somebody says to me, you know, I'm fine. I don't really need anything that that might be one of 10 things. It might be, I'm fine. I don't need anything, but thanks for asking. Yeah. That might be, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Cause there's no way in the world you could give me what I need. Right. It might be, I'm fine. I don't need anything because if I tell you that I am not fine and I tell you that I need something, then I'm going to crumble mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, it could be a hundred. Or you're going things. to run or you're going to yeah. run. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and, and I think, uh, I personally believe that if we're fortunate enough to get to the point where we can look back on our lives, the only thing that we really, uh, uh, receive joy in or have regret over is the connect human connections. That yeah. we make. And, um, and I feel like we, most of us want to have better and deeper, yes. more meaningful human connections. So if we do that, shouldn't we? figure out a way to uh, be better tuned into what people might want or allow people to better tune into what we might need. 
And yeah. so, um, so that's the purpose. That was the whole purpose of Cycle of Life. No, I, I do love the fact that you've addressed that because um, um, we do shut down when we're faced with a trauma. It's mm -hmm. part of our defense, mm -hmm. right? But if we stay shut down and there's nobody around us to help us, we get lost in that and we, we can't find the door to come back out. So it's having somebody hold that door open for you. Okay, when you're ready, when you're ready, you can come out. And you, it's safe for you to come out. Even right. if you just put a toe or put a hand and wave, that door is open for you. Because what we don't want is for people to completely shut that door and forget where it is and how to open it up again. Because whatever they're going through is only going to be multiplied then because you've gone into your own turmoil. And we know that, yes, but what if? Yes, but what if? And when we're in that what if, we go into the negative scenarios, not the positive ones. So, you know, I always say when, when somebody is healing themselves, they need to remove themselves from any form of negativity and be around positivity. And that mm -hmm. might simply be at the park, watching puppy dogs chasing balls and sticks and children playing and the birds singing and the ocean hitting the shore. You know, it could simply be nature bringing back the joy opening up that door a little bit, but you need to put yourself in a space that is healing and around people that truly do care, because that's the way you're going to help heal yourself, which is really, really important. Um, and removing yourself from the negative people is very important, but people don't want to hurt other people's feelings. So they don't say anything, they just shut down, they don't remove themselves from them, and that negativity keeps bombarding their door. And listen, when you don't, and when you uh, say, when you keep that distance, you, you, you put an arm out figuratively or literally to somebody who is perhaps in need of, of help or attention or sharing or whatever. Once you do that, it's really, really hard to undo that. Yes. It's so much easier to not to, it's so much easier to continue to not pick up the phone. Yeah. And it's not the most common theme when talking to um, uh, patients and survivors and uh, caregivers and loved ones and those that it's not the most common theme, but a very common theme was that being um, abandoned, being yeah. isolated. Yeah. Um, where did my best friend of 25 years go? Where did my mm. college roommate go? I mean, there's one story in the book with a woman who um, I'm not going to, uh, I tell you how the story ends. It ends in a very positive way, but her she, on the way to get a bone marrow transplant to check herself into the hospital for all of the pre-work that needed to be uh, started to be done. Her fiance calls her on the phone and says, yeah, you're on your own. I can't do it on the way to that on the Lass. way in a, cab, <laughs> in a cab on the way to the hospital. Then the cancer returns. She gets another bone marrow transplant. And her boyfriend at the time, who's supposed to now be the one to take care of her on a rotating shift of people for a week, calls her and says, yeah, I'm not as strong as you. I'm, I'm out. I can't show up. Twice she's abandoned. Mm. Mm. And also, by the way, when she first started getting sick, her college roommate, uh, best friend, literally never called her again. She still hasn't heard from her 20 years later. And you wonder, you know, I, I, I get how I, I could not know how to deal with your right. problem. It, it might be too painful for me. I might just go, I don't know what to say to Sarah. I'm, I'm, last thing she needs me to do is be an idiot and say right. the wrong thing and make her feel bad. So I'm just not going to do anything. And meanwhile, you're sitting there going, where the heck is David? Right. Man, 
you know, we would talk once a week. We talk every day. And now he won't even call me. Right. He knows what I'm going through. Right. So it's, and, and once we don't make that call, it's so much easier to continue to not. And so exactly. uh, again, abandonment's not the biggest issue, but it's a very common issue. And, um, and I think it's because what we've been talking about is people just don't know what to say. Yeah. And you know, people, when you, when you're in a, a crisis, you don't want to burden people with what you're going through because everybody's got stuff they're going through mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, I don't want to burden them with that. You know, they've got enough on their plate right now. And it's like, how do you know if the, you know, they will not make time for you if you don't ask or if you don't tell them, you know, they could drop everything or they could say, I'm over there on a such, such a date, but don't assume, you know, assumption is a great deal in this, isn't it? And uh, yeah. um, let's take the assumption out of it and ask. Right. And uh, ask. And I've learned, you know, in writing, we, we try to do uh, uh, active writing rather than passive writing. Right? Mm. We try to we try to we, we whether you're a writing academically or writing fiction or nonfiction or whatever, we, we, we try to say instead of saying, um, you know, the coffee pot boiled, you say um, the whistling from the coffee pot interrupted my train of thought. OK, well, that one is one is telling one is one is not right. One is passive, one is active. And this whole idea of asking questions in a passive way. Oh, are you okay? Is there anything you need? Nah, that's not really a question. That is yeah. a, mm, geez, how do I exit from the conversation? <laughs> Instead of, I would say, I'm going to ask you if you need anything. Mm -hmm. And when you answer me, before you do, when you answer me, let you let me know if it's really what, what you're thinking or if you're answering me because you don't want because you're not sure if I'm coming from a place of I'll give you what you need or I'll t try right. to give you. Yeah. Right. Oh, wow. That's a tough one. Are you saying you're okay because you don't want to burden yeah. me or are you saying yeah. you're okay because um, you, you don't you, want to impose. You don't want to impose. <laughs> yeah. Or are you saying you're okay because you're really okay? Like, I really want to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different way to ask a question. And, you know, very often helping someone else through something we don't realize what it's doing for us. You know, mm -hmm. it's when you gift somebody something and you see the joy in receiving that gift, that is a gift back to you. And if you're helping someone through something, very often it's, it becomes a reflection on like, I was busy helping her through that. But my God, it helped me through some things because mm -hmm. you can't help but kind of look in yourself or it helps you kind of deal with something else you're going through that you've perhaps avoided. So being there for one another is really what community is about. It's what the external family is about. And we mm -hmm. need to take the fear and the judgment off the table. And, you know, if you can't cope with it, if, you know, if it's like, I'm sorry, this is too much. I can't cope with it. I will try and be there in this way or that way. But I can't be there on that side of it. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say that and be honest than to disappear. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, just to a point that you made before, it's like, um, um, uh, you know, to, to just disappear is probably like the worst yeah. thing that you could do to somebody, but it's easy to understand why you would want to yeah. disappear. Right. And, you know, I used to feel like such an idiot when when june calling my sister is dying and she called me we, we were going to start a conversation about something and my what's your immediate reaction when somebody calls you hey how's it going yeah 
And then I would beat myself up mentally for the next three seconds until she answered me because why in the world would you ask somebody who's dying of cancer, how they're doing or why, you know, why are you dying? Well, don't worry. Yes. Right. (laughs) Meanwhile, she didn't even give a second thought. She was like, I'm fine. But listen, what I called you about was that. And so um, we have to not be afraid to make a mistake and we have to not be afraid to put our foot in our mouths and we have to not be afraid to say the wrong thing because um, there isn't a manual for the right thing, uh-huh. no, right? Just, you know, it's just care, uh-huh. you know, come from the heart, really care. Um, I was in a restaurant the other day having lunch with somebody and there was a mother with a teenage uh, daughter who definitely had, I think, Tourette's and other emotional problems, ended up the daughter walking out and the mother just getting it, f- falling into tears. And uh-huh. I thought, I COVID or not, I don't care. This woman needs a hug. Yeah. And I just went over there and just hugged her. And she right. said, I've failed of a mother. I said, no, you haven't. Everybody has a choice at some point. You know, her husband had walked out on her as well. This poor uh-huh. woman was really at that point. And I said, your daughter, she said, you know, her age and everything. I said, you can only be there for her if she will let you be there for her. And this now time, it's for you. It's now time for you. Don't, there's no blame here. There's no shame here. This is the time for you and your own healing. You can't help anyone else until you've healed yourself. And that's all she needed at that moment. That's it's all she needed. Really amazing. You know, yeah. and then well, I gave her my card. I haven't heard from her. One day, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I told her to listen to a few of the shows because I interview so many people that have, are exactly where she's at right now. And, you know, and I always say the, the best people in life, the best teachers in life are those that have gone through it. Mm-hmm. They've discovered their strength their courage, their abilities, their passion, their calling, their meaningful purpose, mm-hmm. and everything that they've gone through, which has made them stronger and helped them understand, they turn around and help others going through that mm-hmm. because they know it, they understand it, they care, they can really speak empathetically of it. And mm-hmm. they're the best, best forms of teachers for everybody. So when we are facing something, it's really like you, you know, like in the mirror, really, what are you doing? And then, you know, rollerblading, 85 <laughs> at the top of the mountain, I can slide all the way down or I can find that extra strength in me. I can find that extra ability in me. We sell ourselves short on our abilities and on our strength and our tenacity. We've actually become rather cushioned in the last 20, 30 years with our technology. Um, you know, when you look at what our parents had to go through, what their parents had to go through, there was never time to wallow in anything mm-hmm. because every minute of the day was taken up with just survival. And yeah. so we do sell ourselves short. And if we're willing to go, you know, there's more in me. I can do this. I can get up off my knees. Mm-hmm. I can stand there. Even if I'm wobbly, I can find that step forward because I want to. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because, you know, you're dealing with so much junk. Like once you I don't know. Proverbial junk. How much junk do we carry around? <laughs> yeah, we we do. And and gosh, everybody has this like um, opinion of what they can and can't do, and why they should and why they shouldn't. And they feel guilty giving themselves attention, or they feel guilty not giving others more attention. There's a million things that we're just dragging around at all times, yeah. and kind of none of it really matters. And if you can just figure out a way to let it just go and just figure your stuff out. Yes. If just like, like, which 
you know, I guess in my case, I came with for forgiveness, self-forgiveness. I make a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of things right, but I've made a lot of mistakes. And that's called I, learning. Yeah. But, but when you're, you know, self-sufficient or you're the boss or you're the, the strength and all of a sudden you, you start walking around, like I'm doing everything wrong. Mm. Right. That's a turn. That's turmoil. When you're yeah. the strong person like you who needs now to have people help you, that creates a whole lot of gray. Yeah. Like how do you navigate that? How do other people around you navigate that? It's just, we, we just have to figure out a way to be present and, 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 and to go forward. And for, for me, that was to, you know, purposefully say, who can you be? It's also to forgive myself for yeah. making mistakes, um, which is really, really hard to do. Um, Cause we're really, uh, a lot of us, especially those that uh, lived caring about what other people thought, we're really good at hitting ourselves over the head with a yes, hand, right? And so um, just letting go and, and being able to um, be present in the moment and see what we can get out of life. If we're, if we do that on purpose, that, that is a, it's just a gift that keeps giving. You know, you, you said this happened to you in your thirties. My son mm -hmm. is 36 and he's just been through a six year breakup and he runs a restaurant and you know, when, when COVID came out and the whole shutdown thing, he was in a plaster cast with a snapped Achilles. And it was like, what do I do now? I have 33 staff, you know, and how do I keep this going? And he pivoted because he's a very good mm -hmm. businessman and he's done exceptionally well through this, but he's also been on 24 seven, uh, you know, carrying the whole weight. And then, you know, when the, when the relationship broke up and then immediately she went and got engaged to someone else, it was you know, a double yeah. whammy. And he just felt like, oh, you know, I'm at my limit. I'm at my limit. And he's carried the strength of everybody. And, the staff that have been with him for long enough because it's a community, it's a family, they love being a part of it, made him cards and said, don't worry, you go and take some time for yourself. We're here for you. And he realized that he could be vulnerable, that he didn't have to be the strength all the time. And that in him saying, I just, oh, I'm at my limit, you know, and I just need to make some time for me. I need to go through a process for me. It doesn't mean he's still not there. It's just that he's actually putting some time into working out and, you know, having some coaching and right. all of that. And they say, do it. You've been there for us. You, mm -hmm. you kept the doors open for us. You know, we're here for you. And he didn't realize that letting that guard down and not being the strength all the time, that allowing himself to be vulnerable was actually permission to them, to, for them to be there for him for a change. Yeah, right. I totally understand that. I totally understand that because um, I, I love to entertain. I love to cook and and I like being the guy in control of that whole scene. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and at one point, my wife said to me, she goes, listen, you know, I know there's 20 people here and you've got it. But people ask you for help, not because they think you need it. Yes. But they ask you for help because they actually want to help. So why don't right. you why don't you do what 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 they need? Yeah. Right. Why don't you give them the gift of helping you because yes. it will make them feel better. Yes. Like, like they want to help. They're not wanting to help because they think that you're not capable. They're wanting to help because that's what they want. Give them what they want. And I went, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that's it's gifting to them. It's respectful yeah. to them. And, you know, otherwise they're on the sideline watching you kind of spin, getting into that tornado. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, if only he'd let me help. Right. You know? And it's not, Oh, he's weak and he can't cope with it. Yeah. It's like, but we're here, put us to work. Right. 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 
And so I also had to say, well, am I doing it because I want to be perceived as the guy that's in control and right. all that? Yeah. Oh, you know yeah. what? You're right. You know what? I need to let go of the ego. I just, yes. and I need to accept the help. And guess what? A lot of times they do parts of what I do better. So yeah. everybody wins in the end. Yes. Right. Yes. So it's, but it's tough lessons to learn. The good thing is, is that uh, I know a lot of people that are closed minded. Mm. And uh, and that's okay. I mean, sometimes that's on purpose, and sometimes I understand why they're that way. But uh, to the extent that you can be, I think being open-minded mm. and uh, being optimistic that you can always continue to learn um, is is the thing that drives me. And and I think it's uh, it's it's a gift that I uh, that I opened up way too late in life. You know, but, no, but it's never too late. I mean, I I know it's never but too late. I, I have it now. Yes. Right? And, and I don't have But you went on that discovery in your 30s. And like I said, so many yeah. people I've interviewed, it's been 60s and 70s because they didn't have permission before. Right. They know finally it's like, why am I seeking permission from anyone else? The only permission I need is me. Yeah. Right. Which is and a hard, it's, so it's hard. a hard one. Yeah. Permission to put yourself forward. But, you know, it's the old oxygen to yourself, right? If you're out mm -hmm. of air, how can you help anyone else? If we're depleted, how can we help anyone else? We have to make ourselves abundant because then our cup runneth over. Right. And we've got even more to give. I've interviewed a lot of people in their 80s. And what I love about them is there's a lot of chutzpah in their approach to life. They've been through a lot. If they've lived to their 80s, they've been through a lot. Um, it's their attitude. And a lot of it is ingratitude. They've all had knocks. They've all been swiped sideways. They've all had losses. But they chose to go, well, thank you for what I did have. I'm going to pick myself up, dust myself off, and I know I can still have something great in my future mm -hmm. instead of dying with, with whatever they lost. And it's that wonderful attitude and positive attitude of gratitude and perspective. I'm still living. Well, if I'm still living, I need to live. Mm -hmm. And I'll sit back and watch life pass me by. Right. And, you know, there, there's one of them, 89, she took a new lover at 87, and she's got her own TV show, and she's oh, full of life, yeah. you know? Right. right. <laughs> Another right. one, 82. She's written a rhyme every single day of COVID. Oh, right? my goodness. Every single day of COVID. Right. And she's an artist. She's a musician. She'll post videos of herself dancing. And, you know, there she is, 82. And she was in the prisoner war camp when she was a child. She oh my gosh. was made a prisoner by her husband in South Africa. She's been through a lot. But she chose. I'm happier with a positive attitude than I am with a negative one. Right? That's amazing. Yeah. So I guess I am lucky that I was able to discover yes. some of this stuff earlier than yes. later. It's never too late, mm -hmm. you know, but if you can do it earlier, it's better. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's help people do it earlier. Yes, exactly. That's what these shows are all about. Absolutely. You know, inspiration begets invitation. When yep. you're inspired by something, it's an invitation for you to look at your own life and go, well, look where you came from. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I've done a massive amount of shows on business. And it's, it's really always really intriguing with particularly you know, Wall Street or I was, you know, CEO of this company. I was earning the six figures yep. and I realized I was really successful, but actually miserable. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was living the outside life and nothing of the inside was connected. Mm -hmm. And they gave it all up to make that journey from the inside out. And now they're not earning the six figures, but they feel more enriched and more abundant than ever in their lives. Because yeah, they're doing something that comes from the heart and the soul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard though, because we got people we need to take care of. We have, you know, we've got to live, uh, live, you know, we got to put food on the table and we have to do this and we have to do that. But 
you know, whatever form it takes, again, going back to this theme of uh, forming more meaningful connections with people or not having done that, right? Mm -hmm. The regret over not having done that. Whatever it takes to do that, I think that that is, um, that, that it's a wonderful thing to strive for. And, yes. you know, one of the, one of the themes, so in the book, there were two themes that were consistent. Like, you know, some things had repetition, but there were two themes that were consistent and they're both uh, great themes to learn from. And one theme was no matter how unbelievably interesting um, full of turmoil or full of uh, benefit or what, however you would judge somebody's life that was, they were spectacular. These lives, these stories are unbelievably interesting and spectacular, um, both uh, from the positive and the negative viewpoint. Um, they, every single one of the people said, ah, my story's not that interesting. Nobody wants to hear it. Okay. Cause we're all just living our life. Yeah. So I think that the, that the lesson learned in that is that if you just go a little bit deeper, you can find out just amazing things that people have gone through. And there's so much to learn from that. Oh, God, the, yes. the other theme that was very consistent was the theme we talked about early on and have been talking about most of the time. And that is that they weren't equipped to let people connect with them or that people around them weren't equipped right. to connect with them. Um, and um, I thought to myself, if that's really the theme that I, diversity of age, experience, uh, background, you name it. And that those were the two things that were absolutely common in every single person. It just reinforced, and everybody I met along the bike ride um, was unbelievably interesting when you, when you got down into it and they all had that same kind of like, Oh, I can't wait till the book comes out so I can learn how to say this to that person or whatever. Um, it is, um, that was, that was my pass. That was my, uh, um, uh, a ticket to be able to continue to try to focus on those things rather than on the other things. Yeah. I want to focus on, what is possible yeah i mean look, everything in life is connection everything right. is communication mm -hmm. we need to be connected to each other because mm -hmm. we are right mm -hmm. we, we we need to communicate with each other whichever way it is mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and everybody has a different way of communicating but communicate we're not meant to shut ourselves off and go through things alone we were designed to be the village and everyone in the village look out for each other and when we reach out to people in trust and trust them with our burden. Our burden is shared. And that means you get fortified and you can then be stronger to help somebody else with their burden when the time comes. And that's just the way of life, it's the way it is. I'm so happy that you've put these stories into a book because there's, you know, again, I've done many stories on cancer and never mind fighting the disease. It's always fighting, well, is this a life sentence or, or death sentence or is this, um, you know what about my family what about this and then mm -hmm. as you said it's all the external worry mm -hmm. instead of like okay what can i do to to face this and beat this and overcome it and that means letting people in and that means communicating what you need and that means letting go of stuff that you've held on to for too long um which is really important mm -hmm. having said that how do people actually get hold of the book uh. and what else do you offer them and how do they get hold of you 
Oh, that's really nice, you Sarah. So um, one one thing that's important to know is that um, the smaller goal was to raise money for cancer organizations and other nonprofits that are uh, dear to the people that were in the book. So uh, each one of the 15 participants picked a nonprofit. Uh, most of them were cancer related um, uh, and very well-known nonprofits that they had a affinity towards. Mm, and so a hundred percent of the proceeds from the book are being donated to um, uh, uh, amongst those charities. So uh, every book that's sold hundred percent of the net proceeds goes out to charity. So uh, that's one thing that's, that was important. The, the bigger goal was to help start conversations. So, yes. um, so if people want to uh, get the book, wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, most books are sold on Amazon. They can go to the, my website, which is cycleoflives.org. Um, I sell signed copies and still the hundred percent of the proceeds go to charity. Um, and yeah, that's how they can uh, get a hold of it. Uh, uh, um, the audiobook, the Audible, is almost out, and I'm super excited by that because uh, out of the 15 stories, I have 15 different actors that are each reading one of the stories. Wonderful. I read the narrative in between each story because that's my story, mm-hmm. but I'm not in the stories. I wrote the stories from the, the person's perspective. Uh, so each one of the 15 stories has a different actor, which I'm really excited to, to bring to people because it'll just, I think, make it that much more exciting. Um and yeah, so they can get the real book and ebook or very, very soon the audible. Wonderful. Fantastic. Um, and um, your site again is circleoflives.org. Dot, dot org. Yeah. We're and you've also got the Facebook the same? Same thing. Facebook, Instagram, the whole thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, very prescriptive minded or preachy or, you know, telling people how to think or what to do. I'm more hopeful that I can connect people through stories mm-hmm. that will evoke an emotion in them that goes, oh, yeah, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I got I, that that gives me something that gives me a, a piece of information I need. And, you know, we all know somebody somewhere who's going mm-hmm. through cancer, especially or, or trauma, you know, by reading this book, it's helping you find the ways to communicate, to understand why they're shutting down or pushing people away or, you know, the things to say that are going to help them. Because as we said, half the time, we just don't know how to react. We don't know what to say. And by reading these stories, it gives you not only the permission, but it gives you the ability of what to say, when to say it, how to offer your services. And a lot of the time, we just don't know what people are going through. We can't relate. Um, and so we just don't know what to do. We don't do anything. And that is, is, for my thing, is the worst thing you could do is not do anything. You know, even if you make a mistake, it's better than doing nothing. You know, in some way or other, we need to be there for people on whatever level. Um, and so that is part of that village mentality where we all look out for one another. And if we do that, we live in a much better world. Um, yeah. And we're going to add to that one more thing. And that is that the stories are really interesting. I mean, they're really they're really uh, they're they're not all you know negative and depressing right. they're all inspirational and they have some kind of hope and some some kind of kind of positive mindset or an understanding to solve like how did somebody get through that oh okay i got that and that's inspiring yes so i think the stories are also very interesting so um so you get that extra extra yeah 
again we are much stronger than we think we are yeah we have so much more resilience than we think we have and uh, you know when we read those stories it really does help us look at our own lives and going you know well if they can surely i can mm -hmm. you know it's in mm -hmm. me as well so don't sell yourself short right we've got Absolutely. a lot more in us thank yeah. you so much for sharing here today and for writing the book and taking the time to, to take that journey because it really is beneficial to so many people. Well, uh, thank you and you're welcome, Sarah. It is uh, a good, I, I love the fact that it has uh, different stories from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And that's something that somebody like you having done what you've done for so long, uh, understand is there's not one message, there's not one story, there's endless perspectives and endless stories. Yes. And, um, uh, sometimes, uh, what you need doesn't come around until the moment you need it. Exactly. And so, yes. And the teacher too. <laughs> yeah. What you've been doing for years and years, I hope you continue to do because even if it's one person at that right time, yeah. um, it's making an impact. So thank you. That's what we're here for, right? Yep. <laughs> just to, just to show people they're not alone. There's others that have gone through it and like they're, they're extending their hand in wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and if we're willing to take that hand they'll know that they'll never travel alone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much david oh, you take care you. until next time folks please get this book it will give you an understanding of what people go through it will uplift you it will help you communicate but maybe it's something you've just been diagnosed with and you're going oh gosh how do i get through this we can all get through it one way or other it is that journey of ours that we have to rise up and and meet and see how strong and resilient we are so never never give up never give in we've got it until next time bye for now we hope that you enjoyed the show you will hear many many shows here on selfdiscoverymedia.com we have new shows for you out every week just find them on our podcast or, or what's new if you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.